Welcome to the Unstoppable Authors Podcast with me, Angeline Trevina, and me, H.B. Line. We'll be digging deep into our own experiences and sharing what we've learned along the way to publishing over 15 books between us in five years. We'll share writing tips and tricks for creating immersive worlds and compelling characters for your stories, as well as advice on author life and publishing options. So get comfy and grab a cuppa. Let's get started. just want to say a massive thank you to our current patrons your support is so important if you'd like to join them and become a patron you will get exclusive access to all of our off-screen banter all the stuff we wouldn't dare to say on air join us over at patreon.com forward slash unstoppable authors for special behind the scenes access And you will also get a lovely, warm, fuzzy feeling inside knowing that you are helping us to keep this podcast going. So we're going to start this episode off with our personal updates. I am working on my first non-fiction book, which I think I'm ready to officially announce. Are you ready? Mm -hmm. It is Goal Setting for Writers. It's coming along nicely. It's really interesting seeing how my process is unfolding and how different it is from my fiction process. And I tell you what, there is nothing quite like writing a book on a topic to get you to practice what you preach (laughs) on that topic. (laughs) How is your process different or similar for nonfiction and fiction, Angeline? You know, it's actually quite similar. So at Christmas, I published my first non-fiction book for writers, 30 Days of World Building. And this month, I released my second, How to Destroy the World, which is a guide to writing dystopia and post-apocalypse. But overall, I still take the same slapdash approach to planning, or rather not planning. (laughs) The really funny thing about the way I write is actually when I edit. Now, I always read my books out loud when I edit, which by the way, you should all do. And if you don't, then come and see me after class. (laughs) But I don't just read my books aloud. I totally perform them. And it's no different with nonfiction. I imagine I have a class in front of me and it's this ridiculously energetic performance. Like if anyone ever saw me, they'd think I was a lunatic. Worst thing is, I tend to lose my voice about halfway through. (laughs) But I must say, there is far more self-doubt involved with writing non-fiction. Because when I'm writing my fiction, I can write any old crap I like and no one can tell me I'm wrong. (laughs) But with non-fiction, I have like actual responsibilities to say clever and helpful things. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. The imposter syndrome is more vocal with this project than I've ever felt before, but I am determined to see it through. So today we are talking about tropes, our favourites, the ones we can't stand, how to utilise them effectively, and cliches to avoid. So tropes are common and recurring elements of story attributed to specific genres, I like to think of them as being like markers or milestones along a route. 
they are clues for your readers or breadcrumbs for them to follow so that they know they'll like your book because it has many of the elements they already enjoy from the genre. Now, people tend to toss cliches and tropes into a singular box and shake it up and mix them all together. They think that they are exactly the same thing and that they are both things to stay clear of. Now, a cliche is an overused, trite, stereotyped phrase or idea which has lost its impact, ingenuity and originality through excessive use over time. And they are something to avoid in your writing. There are very few specific cases where you can get away with a cliche, though. For example, Mm. if you're writing a noir 1940s detective character, then he should absolutely wear a wide-brimmed hat and smoke cigars. It's a cliche, but a (laughs) beloved one. (laughs) And some tropes do actually border on horrible cliches, and some tropes will be so overused that, sure, over time they will actually become cliches. But other tropes are much loved and enjoyed by readers. There are many, many readers who specifically seek out books containing certain tropes because they enjoy reading them so much. Yes, absolutely. Now, I remember first becoming aware of tropes when I was about 18 or 19, I guess. I was watching one of my favourite films, Willow, and I realised how packed full of common events it was. I don't think I knew the word for it at the time, but that was when I really woke up to the concept. And that film really does have all the fantasy tropes. Mm -hmm. The farm boy invited on or compelled to take up a quest. The chosen one and a baby to boot. The elderly magical mentor. The lovable rogue travel companion. Who gets the girl? The evil ruler in a tower. Faceless soldiers. Spells going wrong in a comical fashion the sacrifice of the elderly mentor and the villain crucially defeated by their own spell backfiring. The hero never kills anyone. And Mm. there are many, many more tropes in that film. (laughs) Now, I'm actually incredibly late to the trope party. I've admitted it before, I'm something of a lazy writer and I don't spend nearly as much time and energy as I should studying the craft of writing. Of course, that doesn't mean I hadn't noticed tropes recurring again and again in stories. I just didn't know the correct terminology and didn't spend any time studying them. It is quite literally only this year that I've been consciously paying attention to tropes and researching them There are, of course, lots of relevant genre tropes evident in my books, but I've never sat down and worked out which tropes I did or didn't want to include. They simply crept in there because I know and love the genres so well. So yeah, I knew they existed, but it was very much on an accidental subconscious level, which is kind of the haphazard way I approach most of my writing. (laughs) Yeah, I'm much the same, to be honest. I... I hadn't consciously included or excluded certain tropes, but I've found myself using the ones that I enjoy. Now, packing in the tropes like in Willow can go one of two ways. It can create raving fans or be a spectacular flop. Often, both. A, a film or a book can be a flop, but gain a, you know, a cult following of mm. really devoted fans. Readers have expectations, they have their own preferences for tropes, but will always want some. 
Tropes are like a map for the reader. They offer familiarity and security. They can trust that you know what you're doing and won't let them down. This is especially true in romance, where a happily ever after, or at least a happy for now, is expected. If you don't deliver that ending, your readers will turn against you. A tragic end to a love story moves a book out of the romance genre and into drama or similar. Now, when I tried my hand at paranormal romance last year, it was well received, but I stalled on writing the sequel because I didn't want to give the couple a happy ending. I wanted to direct the female protagonist towards another character with whom she could potentially get her happily ever after. But what on earth would that mean for marketing the series? I'd be likely to end up with some very unhappy readers who were shipping the original couple. I intend to come back to that series, but I'll need to market it differently, probably just as a straight up urban fantasy without the romance angle. Now, my favorite tropes in fantasy are the chosen one, the death of the mentor, and a well-executed twist. In sci-fi, I love rogue AIs, cybernetics, and ace space fighter pilots. What are some of your favorite tropes, Angeline? My favourites mostly come from my favourite genres, dystopia and post-apocalypse. I love oppressive governments, infertility plagues, robots gone bad. I really love the scavenger future trope and the overbearing surveillance. I love the post-apocalyptic traffic jam and the person who managed to sleep through the whole apocalypse and then wakes up to the aftermath. I love seeing nature taking the world back or actively attacking humankind. I mean, it's about time, right? <laughs> and of course, I love, love, love zombies, especially if they're being created by some major cock up by humans. That's some serious karma for you. But I also love seeing people doing things really, really different with these tropes and turning them completely on their heads so every time someone says the zombie genre is dead pun totally intended someone writes something to prove them wrong like mm. world war z or z by max brooks i mean the book not the movie mm. the girl with all the gifts and the boy on the bridge by mr carey and okay while it's not explicitly stated that it's a zombie story i think it can definitely fall into that canon and it does for me but the death house by sarah pimbra and there have been loads of movies doing really clever things with the genre too like wormwood and planet terror yeah i'm a bit obsessed with zombies so that's the tropes we love what about the cliches we hate what sets off your boredom alert holly oh that's a really good question um i do not like um really like twee happily ever afters uh mm -hmm. i you know for me endings have to be bittersweet <clears throat> um i do not like the um sort of in romance you know the like fated to be together trope mm -hmm. i can't stand that no how about you so most of my hated cliches actually come from horror. So like people deciding to split up to search some abandoned building, like seriously, and people running upstairs 
where there is no escape. But you can't escape from upstairs. Women dressed in totally unsuitable clothing. And the fact that if any character ever gets shot in the shoulder, they are guaranteed to survive to the end. Seriously, every <laughs> single time. <laughs> Those movies where within the first five minutes, you can accurately predict who will survive and who's going to die. I mean, seriously, have these people never watched a horror movie? <laughs> just it astounds me that we're expected to believe that we're watching people in this world the real world when in fact it is so clear that they are actually living in some secondary fantasy world where no horror films exist (laughs) seriously right i'll um i'll clamber down from my high horse now (laughs) (laughs) yeah i was just gonna mention scream there i think yes is worth um, just um, a little detour because um, obviously that was a film that really, you know, took the piss out of all of those tropes while at the same time also including them. It was really very clever, which is obviously why it was such a huge success. So, yeah, because it it highlighted it it with their their rules of surviving horror, like don't have sex, don't do drugs, never say, I'll be right back. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, So it really subverted the genre and and was a way, that's a way you can use cliches in an effective uh, manner to highlight them and make a point of them being cliches. Yeah. Now, let's talk a little bit about originality. And I'm going to be quite bold here and state that originality is overrated. Because, like, true originality. Mm. I've seen a lot of writers freaking out because they read a blurb of some book that sounds slightly similar to what they're writing. In fact, I've actually seen writers abandon what they're writing because of it. Mm. I even once had a concerned friend point me to a book that sounded a bit like mine and he was like really worried about this so let's say this and listen carefully if there are books out there with similar characters themes and story elements to yours this is a good thing don't (laughs) freak out over it throw a party and celebrate for one thing this means that there is already a market for your book Mm -hmm. and for another thing you also know exactly who to market it to. And that is fantastic, right? Believe me, I write bizarre little genre mashups that don't really belong anywhere at all. And that is what is hard to market. (laughs) Absolutely. So you, it's important if you, obviously we are advocates of, of writing what makes your, you know your heartbeat faster what what Mm. matters to you and I'm not saying don't do that um but there is if you want to make a living at this there is something to be said for following something like a formula um yeah loosely (laughs) Um, (laughs) and that is to give readers the tropes that they are expecting and that they enjoy and so you want to look at what's working in the genre that you enjoy and that you want to write in, see what's popular, 
and emulate that. And there's nothing wrong at all with doing that. It does not mean that your book will be formulaic or that it will be exactly like someone else's. Your book can never be because of your voice, which we talked about in a previous episode. Your life experience, your view of the world is entirely unique. So sure, someone else can tell your story, but they'll never tell it the way you will. So don't be afraid to write something that's already popular because that just means you'll be able to sell more books. Yeah, which is lovely. (laughs) So are there any tropes that you particularly enjoy writing about? Yeah, I mean, I I do tend to include the chosen one in pretty Mm. much anything I write. Um, I can't help myself. It's just... It's a great trope. I love it too. Yeah. And I, yeah, I, it would be interesting to try and make myself write something that, that didn't include that, but (laughs) it would, I wonder if it would accidentally sneak in there anyway. (laughs) Yeah. It's just so, um, it's so easy. And I mean, this is, this might sound bad, but it is like an easy option because you are, you are creating a main character assuming that you're using the chosen one as your main character um who is special and therefore the story can revolve around them if Mm. your if your protagonist isn't the chosen one you have a lot more work to do to um make it understandable why that character is taking on the responsibilities that they are within the story and obviously this is very genre specific you don't tend to find the chosen one in romance or literary fiction you know it's it's very much as fantasy sci-fi you know post-apoc kind of trope because it's you know there's an element of the supernatural about it mm-hmm. um so yeah so that's that's one that I really like it it makes my life easier as a writer and um uh, it it makes me excited I I like having a character who is special so mm-hmm. I, I get excited about that but that's not to say that writing is easy. No, no, it's not <laughs> at all what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, please, please don't get that idea. <laughs> so I absolutely love creating dystopian worlds with oppressive governments. I love making them totally overbearing and unfair and intrusive and, yeah, evil. Because <laughs> everyone who's writing evil characters is so much fun Mm. and when I'm writing about an entire government that's evil it's all of that same fun but on a far bigger and way more powerful scale so what's not to love okay I'll admit it I'm I'm just evil basically seriously (laughs) I should never ever go into politics (laughs) or you absolutely should (laughs) maybe (laughs) so Holly, are there any tropes that you would love to write, even if you never think that you will? Ooh. Um, I don't know. I'll have to think about it. You, you. Okay. (laughs) So one thing I would love to write about is like the classic huge natural disaster apocalypse, the kind that throws the world into another ice age or destroys it completely and sees everyone fleeing off the planet in spaceships like one of those stories that's really heavy on the military input and government meetings and diplomatic panic and the scientists that the government wouldn't listen to until it was already too late i would love 
to write that, but I can't imagine that I ever will because those kind of stories are pretty heavy on the scientific knowledge and it would take so much research. I mean, that's mainly the reason that I always write fantastical things because I don't have to do much research and no one can tell me I got stuff wrong. <laughs> yeah, um, that, that has totally helped me pin down Good. my answer. Um, I have a real, uh, real fondness for military sci-fi uh, on screen. Mm. I love watching, you know, and taking the term quite loosely. So we're talking like Star Trek and Battlestar Galactica and Babylon 5, you know, those kind of TV shows that are about space military. And mm. I, there is a part of me that would really like to try my hand at writing something like that. I've never read a book in that genre, um, and I don't, and I don't have any military experience. <laughs> so it's like, hmm, yeah, that that could be quite hard. But yeah. like, <laughs> you know, like I mentioned, my um, one of my favourite tropes is the ace pilot. You know, the the Starbucks of um, of sci-fi, the the characters who can fly a plane like it's just an extension of their body and. I love I love those characters and I I think I would really enjoy writing about someone like that especially if they were also a chosen one um <laughs> awesome. so yeah that's that's something I would I would like to do but probably won't because it would also be quite a big genre hop for me and therein lies many complex questions <laughs> yeah so. so so there you go listeners that that is the crux of our creative angst <laughs> <laughs> the stories that burn deep inside of us that will probably never come out <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> so let's move on to our would you rather question which is very apt for what we've been talking about so, Holly, would you rather escape the end of the world by staying underground forever or by staying in space forever? Oh, it would have to be space. It would just have to be because I have to occasionally fly past the sun and, and feel, you know, the light. I, I can't, can't conceive of being underground forever and never feeling, you know, never seen daylight again Ooh. yeah <laughs> <laughs> see i i think while staying in space forever would be pretty darn cool i think i'd probably opt for the underground forever because i mean you can have uv lamps but you know that well i'm like whiter than paper like if I if I never saw the sun again, it would probably rescue me. Um, <laughs> I, I like almost vampire. <laughs> so uh, plus, I hate weather. <laughs> as long as the tunnels I live in are well ventilated, and we you can have like those windows with like fake scenes on and stuff. <laughs> as long as we create a nice environment i don't want to go and live in a hole you know <laughs> if it's like a choice between a muddy hole damp hole or out in space i'll go i'll go to space thank you <laughs> but if it's like a really awesome high-tech futuristic underground base where like they've got 
maybe like huge greenhouses underground so you can Mm. go and have the experience like it feels like you're walking through a rainforest then Mm. I'm idealizing it I like I'm so twisting the rules aren't I (laughs) you are a bit but you know that that really reminds me of a concept for a role-playing game that I came up with years and years ago and me and my other half actually started writing it and it was a post-apocalyptic thing where everyone lived underground and they had like lost track of time and the government was imposing like a you know a fake timeline that they had you know implanted into all the history books and stuff so there's a a wonderful mixing of some of your um ideal tropes and stuff in there Angeline yeah (laughs) this is a book isn't it It (laughs) I think think we've just accidentally written a book together So, yeah. Thanks for listening, folks. We're going to take a break for a couple of weeks for Easter. We'll be back before you know it. If there are any episodes in our backlist that you've missed, then you can go back and catch up. There's a whole year of us podcasting together to choose from. And you can get an extra fix of us over at our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash unstoppable authors. And make sure you subscribe to our Guild of Unstoppable Authors and be notified when our next episode airs. Just head to our website, unstoppableauthors.com and click the option at the top of the page. Bye for now.